So Tom, we're talking today about your music for Black Mass, which stars Johnny Depp as the notorious Boston killer, James Whitey Bulger. How did this film come to you? Was there something that director Scott Cooper had liked about your earlier music, maybe, that led to you being hired? What, I think what happened is like they waited for quite a long time uh, to uh, get a composer in. And I think uh, when, I, when I talked to uh, Scott about this, he was saying that he really liked the, um, the daring approach that I was taking for Mad Max and he wanted to talk to me. And he said to me, don't get me, don't get me wrong, I don't want a Mad Max score in this movie, but I like the, the oddball approach that you took to certain things. I would really want you to see my film and tell me what you think needs to be done for this film. So that's pretty much how it started. How early were you hired? Was there plenty of time to figure out the musical approach you um, I started pretty much six weeks before the end of the, uh, of the, six weeks before the deadline of the film. That's fairly late. That's fairly late, yeah. What kind of discussions did you have with Scott? Um, you know, as somebody who had filmed a music drama like Crazy Heart, did he have specific ideas? He, it was very funny because the first time we, we got together, it was a meeting that I had with him and with the producer, uh, John Lasher, and I saw the film uh, uh, in, in a small theater on the lot, and uh, it was nine o'clock in the morning, I believe, when I when I saw the film, and I came out of it uh, at eleven, two hours and nine minutes later, and my hands were, sh were, were were just wet, and I was shaking, and I felt very, very, very uncomfortable, and uh, the movie had a massive impact on me, and so five minutes after that. Uh, I sit in a room with, with uh, Scott, and Scott said, so what do you think? And I said, oh man, like, oh, it's, it's like, can I get back to you in the end of the afternoon? And so we just talked maybe 20 or 30 seconds. It had such an impact on me. Like I had to come down for a second. And then later that day we, we talked and I said, um, I, there's, there's so much stuff I'd, I'd love to ask you uh, and, and talk to you about, but I have this idea and I'd like to work on something and I'd like to, I'd like to send it to you. And then if, 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 you, if you recognize your movie in that, I would really love to work with you and, and do the score for this movie. And he said, well, um, that's an interesting approach, but yeah, if, if, you, if you want to do that, uh, be my guest. And I locked myself up in the garage and uh, I got really inspired and I worked for six, seven days straight. And, and I thought I was gonna write just a theme for, for, uh, for Whitey Bulger, but then it ended up being this 45 minute piece of music that went through all these different moods. And, and um, I sent it to him and uh, he, he, was, he was really floored that there was so much music to, to listen to. And then uh, on Monday morning, they played that whole piece of music in surround on the dubbing stage because they were uh, prepping a preview and they all listened to it and Scott called me back saying like, yes, I do recognize my movie in this and I really want you to start on this film. So th that's how we started actually. So when you sat down to sort of prepare, begin this, working on this suite, were you after a certain sound palette or a certain mood or did you sort of just experiment and see what worked? Um, and, and no, I actually did, did that day that I came home, um, I started thinking about this, what, what do I want to do and um, how much restraint is there going to be and how much 
Are we going to go over the top? And so I thought about all these things and I thought if all these elements were touched on in this piece of music, you could consider it a proper journey. You could almost see it as a journey through the film. So I really started analyzing how should I start? How should I go somewhere else? What do I want to do with the harmony? What do I want to do with the melody? Um, and I started analyzing what I thought the characters were. And then in that week, I did talk to Scott and I, would, he, I, I wouldn't say what I was working on, but I would say regarding Connolly. So when this and this happens to him, how do you, how do you, what, what's your, your translation as a director to his composer? What, what, what is that person going through? What should be my musical equivalent of that without asking him music, music questions? And, and so what constantly came back was, this is a movie about humans that are capable of very, very terrible things. Uh, and not a movie about criminals that happen to be humans. Uh, so he was very, very clear on that. Uh, so it was very important for me to humanize these characters um, and to make sure that um, you feel that connection with these characters uh, on screen. So therefore, uh, I picked a palette of instruments uh, and I know he's a big fan of cello. So I, I knew that a cello was going to be an important uh, instrument. And then I wanted to use the piano and I wanted to use um, some very uncomfortable overtones of, of strings and things like that um, as my sound palette. Not too much details. And then as I was going, um, I started recording piano phrases with sticks and with mallets. And uh, so that became a, a palette on its own. Um, and then I started experimenting with sound design. Sound design is always a very important part of my scores. And they are, the sound design that I do is always derived from acoustic recordings or acoustic uh, uh, instruments. And I picked the instruments that I was going to use for the score and just do sound design on that. Um, I rarely do sound design on sounds that are derived from an electronic source, usually from an organic source. So no matter how crazy you go with the sound design, there's always that hint of like, but that doesn't sound like a piano or that, that idea is enough. And uh, so that became the palette. And um, one of the things I did was creating, um, I actually, ha I have this um, uh, tape delay and I sat behind this piano and I, I stuck one microphone in, not trying to uh, record a high level uh, uh, quality recording, but just stick a microphone in there and that microphone went into a tape delay and the output of the tape delay went into a small uh, pocket recorder that I always uh, have around the, the house if I have an idea, just quickly, quickly record it. And I was sitting behind the piano and I had the delay set to slow, but on a very long repeat. So if you would play one note, bing, 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 like that. And I started to play all these phrases that would go into the tape delay and it would be phrase on top of phrase on top of phrase. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I would record that in. And I made 80 or 90 of those really weird phrases that were not quite in time. Uh, the piano is out of tune, uh, and it had a really macabre um, atmosphere. So that became a very important part in that piece of music too. You wrote themes for, especially two themes, for the two really main characters. Yes. I mean, can you talk a little bit about um, why that was necessary and what the themes were and how uh, they're different? 
Well, there, there, there are two themes. One is the theme for Whitey Bulger, and one theme is for Connolly, the, the, the FBI agent. And all other characters, all other situations are somewhat sprinkled down versions of those two main themes. So the Windsor Hill Gang that is led by Whitey Bulger have elements of Whitey's theme, so it sprinkles down uh, to all their members. Not as clearly and not as rudimentally stated when we see, uh, when we see Whitey. Um, and the same goes for Connolly. So the FBI, uh, the people that work with him, if there's an FBI situation, it gets that, they get sprinkled love from that uh, Connolly theme. Connolly is, um, is a melody that, the, the reason why it is the way it is, is that he, he, he wants to go higher, he wants to grow, and then I'll give it a little note, but then I'll pull the melody back down because he's never getting there and he's digging this hole for, him, uh, for himself. And I wasn't necessarily uh, very selective with who got a specific instrument. So the, the theme for Whitey is played and on the piano, but it's also played on the cello. And the theme for Connolly is played primarily on the cello, but it's also played by uh, some treated pianos that I just uh, talked about. So they use each other's instruments too, which also emphasize the, the, the idea that these characters, you know, they have something in common. Uh, not only from the past, when they were playing on the playgrounds and um, Connolly got beaten up by this guy and, and, and Jimmy saved him at that specific point. Um, but then also later on, when they make that unholy alliance and, and uh, they, they walk through this funnel, uh, fugue, you know, to, to go till the end and there's, there's no way out. So it was very important that these were not distinct themes, distinct instrumentation, like they were not connected to one another. They had to be connected right from the start. Uh, and that would also create an atmosphere when, when Connolly does show up at the dock to make that deal with, with, uh, with Billy that we didn't feel like so how come are these guys now just making a deal just like that in two minutes? No, these guys grew up together. They knew each other. Uh, so that was an important aspect. Talk a little bit about the use of the cello. Um, I thought that it was especially, it could be poignant, it could be um, especially almost elegiac at times. Talk a little bit about the use of the cello and the string orchestra, which at times becomes very powerful in the film. Yeah, well, it, it was, um, 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 extremely important for me that uh, the strings of the cello would be done uh, in, in the right way. And I also wanted to make sure that whatever I wrote uh, for the cello and the violins was written in the right way. So it made the most amount of sense to get together with uh, a wonderful cellist, uh, Steve Ordoti, and one of the first uh, violinists in the LA Film Orchestra, um, Bruce Dukov. So, we were here together with uh, Peter Rotter, the, the contractor, and 
um, we had two bottles of really good wine and Italian snacks and I played them the movie and I played them what I had written for the movie and we went through the score and they advised me on things. They said, oh, we can probably, oh, I, I would maybe change this. Uh, we talked about the setting of the strings, how many strings, where they, we should position certain string players because they had to play those really eerie harmonics while there were other counterlines going on. So I really benefited from that six hour session on Friday nights and I took all that in and then I incorporated that all in the score and then I had a separate session on forehand with Steve Ardotti to really try these things out and it, and it then it was like really magical how it worked out. And it was almost like um, a rehearsal to the scoring session and then once we got to the scoring session it sounded really good and he was very familiar with the lines and he could really put some personality in which he did i mean it's a really wonderful player and uh, the knowledge of bruce you know what to do with the players how many bass players how many cellos how many people you know on this line how many people on that line it was like <clears throat> when we were done recording, uh, you, you, you pulled up the, the, the three main microphones and, and it sounded fantastic, like all in balance. How big was the orchestra? It's pretty been? big, so, uh, 73 strings, which is, which is quite a lot. And then we had uh, some wonderful woodwind players. Um, we had bassoon, bass clarinet, uh, clarinet and one English horn. And um, that is almost like... The, the choral glue in between all these uh, all these individual uh, uh, string lines and and the, the sound of it in the room was really 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 nice and really special. When I'm hearing the piano, am I hearing you play? <coughs> yes. And uh, I'm not a great piano player, but if I play a phrase often enough, not only can I play it at that point, but I can also put that personality in that I that I need for a character. But if a line is that simple as this, I can I, I can easily do it. But if it gets more complicated, and that's the the beauty of writing with uh, computers or for other composers with staff paper and a pencil, because it all takes place in the, place in the brain. It do, it has nothing to do with your fingers. And yes, I do play a little bit of piano. I play drums and bass and guitar, but I would never sit down and write a piece of music that's limited, but with what I can play. It needs to all come from, from, from the head. I understand there's pipe organ in the score too. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about why that is and how you used it? Well, it, I, it, it, the, the bonds that these people create in the movie uh, together, um, it, it, the, and Scott calls it the unholy uh, alliance, but there's something spiritual about it, and uh, that 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 uh, majestic belief in in and brotherhood, uh, blood, and and loyalty. But and that's what Connolly really, really is, and that's what the the criminals really are in the beginning of the movie towards uh, Johnny as the leader, and there are all these. Uh, rules uh, if you're a rat or if you're an informant you should be cut up and put in a plastic bag and just dumped in a river so th that code that they all have together uh, and then between uh, Connolly and, 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 and Whitey Bulger it, it felt like spiritual to me like, like re religious it, it's so much more than just an agreement it's like oh we're going to be in business there's all that other stuff um, that goes with it um, so I thought the, the, the organ seeping in throughout the score when the importance of that 
unholy alliance gets more and more, but also how it starts falling apart. Uh, and, um, and then obviously on top of that, when the movie unravels, we see uh, Johnny Depp uh, in a church. So I thought just throwing in the organ by the time he sits in church is like, oh, that's cheesy. So the organ needed to be part of the score ever so gradually throughout the film. So once we get to that point when he sits in church and he overthinks what's happening, that organ has now deserved the right to be there in, in its full ornation. Talk a little bit about Scott Cooper's role as you were sort of figuring all this out and creating all this. What, did you involve him? Did he have a lot of feedback? Uh, would he come over and listen to what you had oh, done? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's, ve he's very involved. And, uh, and um, uh, together with uh, his uh, picture editor, David uh, Rosenblum, um, we had really, really, really interesting conversations why these characters are what they are, where they come from. Um, sometimes I would have completely overlooked the fact that I would connect two, three scenes together and then Scott would say, no, no, you can't do that. This is like five years later. And I would completely um, have missed that, um, uh, funny enough. Um, and so there are a lot of these things where you have really interesting conversations. And Scott has an impeccable knowledge of, uh, of, of music. Uh, and um, at a certain point, the last two weeks of our process, he was here every day and he would sit on the couch in the studio and I would finish the writing on the cues and I would say, well, what do you think, Scott? And then he would listen to it and then he would, he would take it in and then he would say, yeah, this is it. Or he would say, oh, I'm still wondering if we need to change something. Let's take a break. And then we would sit outside, drink a coffee and then come back in and then we would play it again. And it was like, I would hear it through his ears. And I was like, man, you're right, we need to change that. And then he said, right? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so we would change things. So the last two weeks was like, literally every day he was here between, um, usually between 10 and two or 10 and four. Wow. Wow. So I, I really like working, uh, you know, that close with the director because that's when you uh, learn to understand what movie he wants to make. And, and my role in this process is 100% to support his view what this movie needs to be. You have said that you wanted to give Black Mass a score that was a little left of center. Yes. What did you mean by that? And, and how does that impact the picture generally? I, you know, I, I come from the uh, alternative electronic music world. And, um, and I always loved music that is like off center. And with off-center, I mean center is what you hear on the radio every day. Um, center in film scoring might be the average uh, action score film or the action drama that you see, whether it's instrumentation or harmonic or melodic choices. And I really like to um, position myself a little more on the alternative side of things, also taking a risk that I might not be the composer for every movie, for every director, for every studio, but it's an, for me, it's an interesting challenge to start there. And sometimes you just move up to the, to the middle because, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, it's teamwork. So you, you play as a team player. But if you ask me, what do you love the most is, is to see movies that are great with great characters and great storytelling. But then if the music also makes you um, uneasy uh, or the sound is really unusual that you not quite have heard it like that uh, before, 
I, I I like that approach, and uh, and I've made many mistakes on that too. You know, also in my artist career, when you try something, it's like, well, Tom, that was a great idea, but that didn't quite work out, did it? You know, and um, and that's why you know you constantly have feedback from from your director and your picture editor and the producers who look at it and it's like, that's interesting, but I think on that scene you're going too far. I think we need to we need to tone it down a little bit, and it's like, okay. You know, and then you tone it down a little bit. And along those lines, um, this is a pretty dark movie. Mm -hmm. Was there concern that the music that you were bringing might make it even darker or somehow almost off-putting in a way because there's a lot of violence in this movie too? Yeah, yeah the, 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 we had a lot of discussions and I had a lot of thinking to do when I started on that long-form piece of music before I got, even got hired uh, to score the film. It's like, okay, um, Let's not put a hat on a hat, uh, but still there's room for, for, uh, for darkness and there's room for uneasiness, but especially there's room for, uh, for emotion. So the, the trick was the people that start off the film is not a great group of people, you know, to begin with. Um, so how do we get, how do we travel? What is the music arc and what is our emotional arc for of a, of a movie that's two hours long where eventually we need to like some of these characters and eventually we cannot think of Bulger as a cool dude till, till the end of the movie. We just can't. So we have to find a way, not only in storytelling and acting and, and, and the brilliant editing that, that they've done in the picture, but also musically, we have to separate eventually Bulger from the pack that, I mean, he goes to heights that are, that are beyond. And then there's the group of criminals left that will eventually rat him out. And then there's the FBI that wants to do good, but you know, they, they, make, they mess it up terribly. So there's all these people. And then these innocent bystanders, like, um, well, not completely innocent. You know, even, even the old lady that sees Bulger, it's like, it's so good to have you back in the neighborhood. Why is it good to have that character back in the neighborhood? So all these people, everybody in this movie has like some fault or some, uh, some, uh, something wrong about them. So everybody is, is, even Connolly's wife, even the girlfriend uh, of, of Bolger, she knew what was going on. Uh, and so all these people are not a great group of people to begin with, but still we need to feel empathy and sympathy to some of these uh, uh, characters throughout. Yeah, they need to be portrayed as human beings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For a long time, we've thought of you as Junkie XL, mm -hmm. a very much in demand producer and performer. But in recent years, your character has been, your, your career has been more moving into film. Can you talk about your transition from one very different genre of music making into another one? Yes, uh, well, for me, it's all music to begin with, but we, we get to this important point. It's like I, I have my, uh, I started in the late 80s as, a, as an industrial uh, artist um, and then in the 90s, it became more dance music um, and I've done that for many years. And the end of the 90s, I saw a couple of movies that had licensed music in there from my albums. And I would see these movies and I would be, that's really interesting how my music works to picture. And that sparked the, the interest. And um, I did a couple of things on, on some movies here. And um, my 
artist career was still going with my peak in 2002 when I had a number one hit with a little less conversation, the remix I did of an Elvis song. And around that time, I was coming a lot to, um, uh, to LA and um, I had a lot of contact with uh, Jason Bentley, who is the now music director at KCRW. And um, he became a good friend and he basically said, wouldn't it be something for you to move out here and just to, you know, to, to get into this? And I said, yeah, maybe. So I gave it a lot of thought and, and eventually I decided, yeah, let's, let's try it. So I went with a very small computer setup and just a guitar and a bass. I, I moved to LA and I had a very small studio, just eight by eight feet, and I set up shop there. And uh, I started meeting all these people and, and I met composers. And this is, the, this is 2003. And um, I figured out pretty quickly, it's like, wait, this is, this is a craft. This is an art uh, to get this down. Uh, so my expectations to move to LA and to become a film composer within two months or three months, I threw that out of the window. It's like, no, no, no. The only way, if at all, I can make this is to start right at the bottom. Uh, so I started assisting. Harry Gregson Williams, uh, I assisted on one movie, uh, Klaus Bedelt. Um, I started working with um, up and coming alternative directors in Holland and, and, so, and, and, and some other European countries to help them um, make a film and do the score for it. And we're all like trying to figure out, okay, so how does this work? You know, just a new director, a new, and, and it was an incredibly um, intensive time period of, of learning and to learn the, what language does a director speak? A, language, a director doesn't say to you, just play that chord. No, 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 they, they talk in colors, they talk in, in, in um, um, characters and, and, and colors, and it, 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 it's a great type of language. And um, so I had to learn that, I had to see the dynamics in a room with everybody there. I had to see multiple tense moments uh, and how people deal with that and, and how to manage your own people, how to manage uh, an orchestra and an and engineer. So there was so much to be learned and it went on like that. And then I started doing um, successful films in, in Europe. And then I got in contact with Hans and uh, Hans, Hans and I Hans worked- Simmer. Hans Simmer, sorry. And, and I worked with Hans on a few movies. And uh, my role in these movies also grew in, 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 in the collaboration with him. And we were just done with uh, Man of Steel where I worked a lot with him on that. And then Zack Schneider called me, he's like, hey, you want to do 300? Uh, and, I, and I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that, was a, that was one was like, oh, yeah, you got five weeks, you think you can do it? It's like, oh, it, it's going to be done and it's going to be great. And uh, so it was great to work with Zack on that. And then Divergent came um, and then, uh, and basically after that, it was, it was Mad Max. And then it was Run All Night and, uh, and Black Mass and Batman Superman is coming out next year and then later this year uh, Point Break. So it's been, it's been quite a, a two years, but I really took the backseat of the bus to see it, you know, every step of the way and just, you know, learn every small aspect, make mistakes, fall up, keep walking, fall down, keep walking. And there's all these new challenges that you need to learn, but I'm really happy that I did because I'm really happy in this 
work environment, what film scoring is. And this has been an especially big year for you because Mad Max Fury Road was a very high profile project mm -hmm. and now Black Mass. And you've just mentioned a couple of the others. Now, what's coming up for you? Point, point Break is one of them. Yeah. And what else? And, and Batman versus Superman, which I'm doing together with Hans. Uh -huh. And that comes out in, in March next year. So are you in the middle of these now? or so, um, are we're, we're, we're in the process of wrapping it up. And what's next after that for you? Will you continue both careers, or are you strictly a film composer now? No, I, I stopped um, um, pursuing my uh, artist career like years ago. I've, I've released an album in 2012, and that was more like, that, and that's a very alternative uh, left of center uh, album. Um, but I really wanted to uh, make music with no attachment or whatsoever to to a product you know and because that was the thing i had to learn too you know is that now i can say in retrospect that i have more creative music freedom on films than i did as an artist and why is that because when you're as an artist the the room is that the, the space in front of you and around you is so open that you're very scared to move to the left and then to the back and to, to the front. So what you're doing, or what I did, is I paved the way and said to myself, no, 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 this is what Junkie XL is. Just keep walking. This is the road that Junkie XL is. But what if I want to go to the left? No, 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 Tom, don't go to the left. Just stay on the road that's Junkie XL. Whereas as film composer, you constantly pull left, uh, front, center, and then to the back. I mean, compare Matt Max and, Matt Ma and Black Mass to one another. It cannot be more opposite. Um, and that triggers so much creative uh, energy inside you that I feel now more at home in film scoring, way more alive, way more inspired to do things that I've never done before. And funny enough, people, f uh, and those are not necessarily the same people, but people find my film scoring work so much more original in its approach than my original artist work. Is that a surprise to you? I, I thought it was a surprise, but it surprised me too. I've, I've, I've always felt that, but you don't say something like that about yourself. You know, other people should say something like that. It's very interesting because, you know, the film business is such a collaborative meeting, medium, and there are so many people that are often involved mm -hmm. in music decisions. But it sounds to you like this is a great new playground. It absolutely is. And, and, and you know, when you make that first initial piece of music, that's your selling point, you know? Um, so I, I would never... I would never uh, do a film um, and then the first time that the director and I meet up to play music is like, so I scored the opening of the film, you want to look at that? It's two minutes and then we, it's like, oh yeah, that's great. But I mean, you have to see everything in, in context and you cannot show a director a movie that's completely scored from beginning to end because you know it's, it's a process to get there together, not on your own, but what you can do is write a piece of music that's very lengthy, that goes through all these atmospheres and give it to the director and say like, do you recognize your movie in this? And, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And that says a lot. And the cool thing is that I've been lucky with that, um, with that way of working um, because um, it, 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 it makes me relive the movie stronger because it's not on my screen. I'm not writing miniature um, 
sections to what is happening on picture. Now the picture is in my head, the storytelling is in my head, the characters are in my head, and I just move the picture out of the side and I'm just thinking, you know, what this character is. And I write broad strokes of what what is inside this character, not even looking at the scene. And the result of that is that you write a lot of pieces of music that never make it to the film. Uh, because, you know, that, that section might be part of his character, but there's simply not a scene where that has been acted out. <laughs> it's fascinating. And this clearly worked for Black Mass. It worked for Black Mass and it worked for, uh, for, um, um, for Mad Max and it worked for Ronald Knight and it worked for 300. Um, it's a way of finding a big picture yeah, it's for, and that you can draw bits and pieces from later. Yes. Yes, and, and sometimes you also have these remarkable uh, uh, coincidences because if you write a piece of music specifically for a scene, it's very, very hard that if you take that piece and you throw it on the other random scene, that it would work as well as it did there. But if you have 45 minutes of music and you look at a scene, you just slide the music over and it's like, oh, but this is great. And so all these coincidences started, started happening. Plus, you also then can tap in on two or three other potential very powerful um, uh, forces uh, for you as a composer. One is the picture editor, one is the, the, the director, obviously, and one is the music editor. So, these, so you, you have laid your first egg and it's a little scary, but you pass it over to, to these guys. And it's like, okay, I did this, but what do you guys think? And then Scott is, is saying like, oh, that section there and there. Oh, I was wondering, could we use that for this and this scene? And I would be like, wow, interesting. I would never think of that, you know? Or the music editor would take a piece of music and he said, hey, I did something for the ending. You wanna check this out, it really worked. And then he plays me something, it's like, oh, I would never, I would never thought to use this thing. And so you get this really interesting conversation and that's where the real collaboration begins. It sounds like um, that you have a real enthusiasm for this field that... Uh... It's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like a kid in a candy store, you know, and, and I've also been uh, very blessed with the collaborations that I've had so far with different directors and with different uh, studios. It's just really nice to work with, uh, I mean, all these people on that level, they're all so smart, they're all so creative, and uh, there's so many horror stories about how things are being made in Hollywood. I haven't exper experienced it really like that uh, firsthand, and I think also it's probably uh, exaggerated too by a lot of people because that, they, it, dr dr dramatic elements are more interesting than, you know, great collaborations, you know. Still smelling like 10 keys. You can stop me if you try. Cause the devil is alive. The devil is alive. Come, come, come the truth. The devil is alive. The devil is alive. Come alive. The devil is alive. Jimmy, when did you get out of Alcatraz? Oh, uh, that's nearly 10 years ago. Well, it's Wonderful to have you back in the neighborhood, son.